<laughs> they are doing our work for us. How helpful. If only they would not be so annoying. It would be useful to have them as sidekicks. Maybe after it all happens, if they are still here. Maybe then they'll realize vengeance is a strong motivator to change. Hello, and welcome to another week of Wislian. We would like to extend our thanks to the meteorologists for keeping the weather sunny as the temperature drops. Rain is a recipe for a bad hair day, so thanks for making sure our hair looks great and our socks stay dry. And that is enough of that. I am Asmodius Q. Hansen. And I'm Sarah Baker. You're listening to Wislian On Air. Last week, Elsa Winthrop of the Wislian Tracking Committee announced that she received an anonymous tip regarding the possible whereabouts of missing PhD candidate Rory Manning. According to Winthrop, this new information is unrelated to the ongoing investigation of Stonehenge in search of the missing business majors. While she said she is not able to disclose the specifics of the tip-off at this time, she did confirm that it is a promising step forward in bringing Manning back home safely, and she is currently dispatching a specialized tracking team to verify its authenticity. Here at Wisleyan On Air, we would like to thank whoever sent in the anonymous tip for their willingness to help the investigation, and we hope that this new information will lead to more answers in the weeks to come. The Student Oligarchy Association has decided to dissolve the investigation into Wisleyan On Air. Upon discovering that Wisleyan On Air doesn't report to any student body, the SOA realized that their investigation was as powerful as the paper it was printed on. We wish the Student Oligarchy the best of luck with the remainder of their business this semester, and we have filed a restriction with the student services that bans SOA contact with anybody involved or associated with Wisleyan on air. We regret to have taken such extreme measures, but it is the utmost importance that Wisleyan gets the most accurate and transparent information. We would like to remind campus again that Wisleyan on air is a protected organization in order to protect the accuracy and neutrality of the organization. Attacks like those of the Student Oligarchy Association and Spellcaster Weekly are inappropriate at best and harmful to the entire student body at worst. If the SOA would like to help their constituents, we recommend that they leave the radio station alone and allow us to report what needs to be shared. Dr. Constance Akita has met with representatives of the student body and her lecture series continues this week. Through a fantastic collaboration with the College of Spellwork, Dr. Akita will present a lecture titled Mesopotamian Spells in Proto-Cuneiform, What It Means to the Modern Magician. This lecture will blend Dr. Akita's research with the interest of the College of Spellwork to give insight into some of the earliest recorded spellwork and connect them to legends that those beings believed were the source of their powers. This will be an exciting lecture in Lansing Auditorium this Wednesday at 5 p.m. Student services will also be noting attendance. As a new policy has been released that all students are required to attend at least one event with Dr. Akita. 
We want to show her a warm Wisleyan welcome, and absences are not kind. We have come so far in the year that it would be a shame to be put on the student services watch list now. And now, we would like to welcome on the air a special guest, Lennon Montgomery. Lennon is a student in the psychics program here at WISU. They first experienced psychic abilities at the age of three, and now they are well on their way to becoming a registered psychic practitioner. We are so happy that Lennon agreed to come on the show and tell us all about the psychics program, psychic abilities, and even their personal research. Welcome to Wisleyan On Air, Lennon. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Um, well, first of all, one of the most common signs in early childhood. Oh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, you haven't asked your first question yet. Uh, that's actually one of the first things they teach us in the psychics program, how it's important to let the other person actually say what they're going to say, even if you already know what it is. Well, they try to teach us that, not that we always remember, obviously, since I just tried to answer your question before you even asked it. Anyway, uh, you go ahead and ask the first question, then I'll answer after you ask it. Sorry. That is completely fine, Lennon. As you are already aware, my first question is, what was your experience of learning you had psychic abilities, and how did that lead you to pursue psychics academically? Well, first of all, one of the most common signs in early childhood is uh, reacting to external stimuli before they actually happen. For me, that was things like uh, during thunderstorms, I'd cover my ears a few seconds before lightning would strike, and when playing peekaboo, I'd start laughing while my parents still had their hands over their faces. I wasn't specifically aware of this at the time. It was just kind of an abstract uh, emotional experience rather than a conscious thought of, I'm predicting that this thing is about to happen. Uh, and that's why education is so important for people with psychic abilities. So many people never even realize that what they're experiencing is psychic and it, it can make their lives so much more difficult because they don't know how to interpret what's happening or how to regulate it. I'm lucky my parents knew how to notice the signs early on. They made sure to find educational resources and get involved in the local community. That is fascinating. So how was your experience growing up as a psychic child in grade school? It was um, a mixed bag, to say the least. Uh, on one hand, some kids will think it's really cool, but uh, then others think it makes you scary or untrustworthy. And of course, in both cases, it can get really difficult to tell who wants to be your friend because of who you are and who wants to be your friend because of what you can do. Um, but like I said, my parents were great at uh, getting me connected with other psychic children. So that's where I made my most meaningful childhood friendships. Uh, that kind of community involvement is so crucial for psychic children. Uh, there are also so many misconceptions about psychic abilities among children and adults. Uh, a lot of my teachers weren't sure how to administer tests because uh, they thought I would cheat by, uh, I don't know, predicting the answers or reading the correct answers from other students' thoughts. Or what people don't realize is just how unrealistic it would be to actually do that during a test. I mean, first of all, uh, prediction is a very advanced skill that most psychics don't even start developing until early adulthood. And even then, it only applies to predicting uh, like actions or events. So there would be no way I could use prediction to automatically learn information I don't already have. No matter what, I'd still have to learn the information. And there's no way a kid could read minds in order to cheat on a test. No teacher just sits around during an exam thinking through the correct answers to study questions. No, they always 
end up thinking about what they brought for lunch or wondering why the kid in the front row didn't blow their nose this morning. Stuff like that. Like, sure, if you're good enough at telepathy, you could technically find out which answer choice a particular student is going to make, but even then, you're never really going to know if that kid is actually right. Uh, even if they're 100% confident they know what they're doing, you ultimately have the same chance of getting the question right listening to their brain as just guessing. This is a fact. There have been tons of studies about psychic children in schools. And Anyway, yeah. Uh, there's effectively no difference in academic achievement between kids with psychic abilities and kids without. But the funny thing is that for those of us who go on to study psychics in higher ed, we've spent our entire grade school lives being told by ignorant teachers to not use our abilities in an academic setting. And then when we get to college, all of our exams are specifically about testing whether we're using our abilities accurately. So for any grade school psychics who might be listening, literally don't worry about it. You don't have to freak out about accidentally using your abilities during an exam because one, there's no way your teachers can actually enforce that. And two, it doesn't count as plagiarism or cheating or anything because at the end of the day, it's not going to have an impact on whether you actually know the information. And once you get to a magical college, they want you to use your abilities. It'll absolutely get better after high school. I promise you. That's such an important message, Lennon. I hope there are some young psychics listening in who could really take your words to heart. Now, could you give us an introduction on your new research project? I understand you're studying some very interesting developments into lesser-known psychic abilities. Oh, uh, right. Well, technically, as of right now, we don't know for sure if it's connected to psychic abilities, but that's what I'm trying to find out. So uh, earlier this semester, I um, found out that I have the rare ability to do what's called a quantum magical leap. Uh, what that means is that I'm able to deregulate the quantum magical bonds tying my being uh, to the laws of this dimension and then reconstruct them. So I can travel across space and uh, possibly also time nearly instantaneously. Uh, effectively, I can teleport at will. And exactly how rare is that ability? Uh, well, uh, there have been only seven known cases ever. And only two of those cases have actually been proven uh, under experimental conditions. Uh, that's two, including me. So... It's extremely rare. Uh, before the development of cats in the 1970s, there was just Hold no on. way to- Lennon, what do cats have to do with this? Oh, sorry. Not cats as in the animal. Cats as in uh, QATs, quantum magical analysis technologies. Uh, before they were invented, uh, there was no way to verify whether quantum magical leaps were even real. So uh, the five historical accounts were later assumed to have been what we now know as a quantum magical leap. Uh, so- uh, earlier this semester, when I uh, learned that what I could do might be a quantum magical leap, I went straight to the magical physics department and said, hey, uh, this is happening. Uh, how can I learn more about it? And that was the beginning of my project. I, I'm currently working under a board of faculty advisors from the College of Spiritual Sciences, as well as the College of Mystic Arts and Esoteric Sciences. And I've received several grants allowing me to continue my research for the next three years. That is incredible. Congratulations. I am excited to see where this research leads you. What have you found so far? 
Well, so far, I've been focusing on compiling the research that's already been done so I can get a better understanding of the concept myself and then decide how I can make the most meaningful contribution to that knowledge. As I said earlier, my first step was to contact the quantum magical physicists on campus. Uh, they took some basic readings of my ability and were able to confirm pretty quickly that it was actually a quantum magical leap. Uh, they've also started some more intensive testing so that ultimately we'll be able to map out the limits of my capability. Uh, but that aspect of it will be more difficult until I learn how to consciously control it. Uh, like with so many forms of innate magical ability, once you're aware of it, it's almost like you have to completely relearn it. Our estimate is that I used to make about 15 quantum magical leaps per week without even realizing it. Now that I know what's happening, it's become so much more difficult to do. So that'll be a whole other journey, learning how to control my power consciously and intentionally. Um, but uh, anyway, a research compilation. So uh, as I'm sure you can guess, the pool of research on quantum magical leaps is very small. Basically, the consensus on what even causes this ability is we don't know. And uh, the range of scientifically documented experiences, other than mine, is literally just one person who was elderly at the time of the first test and passed away shortly after. So other than the data from those tests, all we really have is a bunch of hypothesizing, which on one hand is really exciting because it means that there's so much room for me to expand the field. I mean, just my existence doubles the sample size for research like this. But on the other hand, it is pretty intimidating to be the only living person currently able to study this kind of magic. I am sure it is. I am curious what the previous researchers hypothesized on. Earlier you said that these leaps involve deconstructing dimensional bonds. I wonder, do quantomagical leaps have any potential for, say, interdimensional travel? See, that's where it gets really interesting. Of course, it hasn't been tested yet, but uh, one of the more prominent ideas is that quantum magical leaps aren't only capable of traveling outside our dimension, but they require it to function. Uh, the concept is that nothing can break the laws of a dimension while it's in that dimension. So in order to deregulate the quantum magical bonds, the subject must also move through other dimensions. Basically, it's not possible to jump from one location to another without at some point traveling between those locations. But with quantum magical leaps, that doesn't happen. There's no movement per se. We, we know this because physical barriers between locations don't have any impact on a quantum magical leap. So the only way that it could be possible is if I leave this dimension, skip through a couple other dimensions, and then return at a different point in space. And what about traveling to other dimensions? Rather than just skipping through, or what about other beings, extra-dimensional beings, using a quantomagical leap to travel to ours? Hypothetically, of course. That's a great question. Uh, the short answer, at least right now, is I don't know. Uh, with what we currently know, there's nothing to say it can't be done, but actually being able to do it would be the tricky part. It, it would take an enormous amount of control to be able to deregulate from this dimension and then maintain the deregulation with enough power to materialize in another dimension. And I'm not sure if there would be limits to that or if it even is actually possible to materialize in other dimensions through a quantum magical leap. So yeah, I don't have an answer for that yet, but that would be an amazing field of study to go into. 
It's a super interesting question to consider. It is indeed. Thank you so much for your time today, Lennon. This has been an enlightening conversation, and I hope our listeners found it just as interesting as I did. We hope to have you on the show again sometime. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. This has been so much fun. And thank you to all of you for tuning in to another episode of Wislian On Air. We'll see you next week. Well, your friend Lennon is quite a character. I almost like them. Too bad they weren't my co-anchor. First of all, rude. Second of all, I think they actually did apply. Anyway, thanks for having them on the show today. I think it went really well, and I think it's something that will interest the student body. It did go very well. And I think I need to go through Ambrose's files on Quantomagical Leaps. Oh, you think that's how the doppelganger got here? It seems the most likely possibility so far. That's how Lennon got in here during Homecoming, and if there's a possibility, it could be used for interdimensional travel. Lennon didn't set off any of the alarms, though. My doppelganger did. I checked the security systems, and during the attack, it was not your doppelganger who set off the alarms. It was Dr. Schaefer. He must have tripped one of the sensors when he arrived. So... So, we would have had no warning if he hadn't shown up. My doppelganger can enter the archive at any time without any of us knowing? (laughs) Great! Yeah. And without a moonstone or another amplifier, I am not sure how effective the protective magic will be against her. (sighs) Wonderful. Fantastic. Oh, that reminds me. I've gone back to the labyrinth since midterms. Oh? And how was that? Are you okay? I mean, like, it was fine, I guess. I had a lantern, but I added a flare wand to make sure things were extra bright so I could see everything. It was a little scary, but I think my doppelganger is either too scared or too weak to come around anymore. At least for now. That's good. Did you find anything that could help us? I think that if you find more artifacts, you should keep them. Maybe don't give them to Schaefer. Why not? He's helped us a lot. I mean, I trust him. I don't not trust him, but our track record of trustworthy professors is not great. I just think we should be safe. I mean... I am also suspicious about why he was down here in the first place. The archive is a restricted area. He said he came to check on us, right? Yes, but he knew there was a doppelganger. Who just assumes that? Yeah, if you trusted me about Ambrose, I'll trust you about Schaefer. Thank you. Have you discovered anything with amplification abilities? I think we're strong spellcasters, but against something like your doppelganger, we have no chance of winning. Agreed. I haven't found any new items, though, but mostly because I've been circling under the archives again where I first saw her. And it's fine because I haven't seen anything new, but it just feels alive. I can't really explain it. Is it like the walls are alive? (sighs) No, not that. It's almost like the air is alive. Like, it smells like magic, but so does everything else in the labyrinth. But this is different. It smells older. Stronger. And the air almost, like, pulses. Like, it feels like a heartbeat, but outside of your body. Well, 
The other Sarah did say the Archive has a heart, whatever that actually means. Yeah. Maybe you can try asking Schaefer. I know I just said not to trust him, but he trusts us. Maybe he'll have some useful information. Maybe go to his office hours. Sure, I can try. Do you want to get food? Yes, I am famished. Thank you for listening to Wisleyan On Air. If you enjoyed this episode, please drop a follow and leave a rating and review wherever you get podcasts. We're a small podcast team, so it would mean the world to us. To stay up to date with all things Wisleyan, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and for behind-the-scenes content, TikTok, at Wisleyan. Wisleyan On Air is produced and written by Brenna Miller and Nia Williams. Sarah Baker is voiced by Brenna Miller. Asmodeus Q. Hansen is voiced by Niall Williams, and Lennon Montgomery is voiced by Chris Lantham. Later this week, join Sarah and Asmodeus as they interview our very special guest to Wisleyan University, Dr. Constance Akita.